Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Team Championships. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and like Frank, I am also 35 years old and a Mario Buster. And my name is Ash Versus. That's the way it goes, baby. <laughs> this episode aired on the 11th of January, 1994, and we have dual new number ones with Shackard Demas' twist and shout being top of the pops, and Al Pacino returns to the top of the box office with Carlito's Way. Hooah! Hooah! The Court of Appeals' decision now devolve upon me the painful duty of unleashing upon society a reputed assassin. The prisoner's discharge, call the next case. Carlito Brigante, man. You a legend. He's one of us. Puts money in everybody's pocket big time. He was big. Just a tough guy. He just got out of Lewisburg, man. All my Al Pacino impressions or references are not actually based off Al Pacino. They're based off Stella Street. I was going to say, all of my Pacino's uh, impersonations come from basically other people's impersonations of Pacino. It's basically just like, oh, what? how did Ralph Garman do it? He would just go, Pacino! And that's all I do now. It's the same for me with David Bowie. It's all from Stella Street. Oh, <laughs> going down the corner shop. My Bowie usually comes from uh, Adam Buxton and Joe Cornish of when they used to do their Bowie. Uh, David Bowie, sucking like I'm going to the shops. Uh, now, just before we went on out, I thought this was a return for Brian De Palma to under consultation. It's not. We've just referenced him in the past. The guy has got a storied film career and is also a controversial figure because you've got a section of the audience that accuses him of being misogynistic and exploitative. Mm -hmm. You've got another section that says that a lot of his films have a very pro-feminist agenda. And then you've got another section that talk about the the queer subtext to a lot of his films. I'm not going to say any of them are right or wrong. I'm just going to say that there are quite a few Brian De Palma films that I really quite enjoy. 
including Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah, I, I think I fall on that side of things as well. There are certain Brian De Palma movies that I very much like. You know, I think Carrie is an absolute banger of a movie. It's it's you know it's one of it's one of the all time greats. And you know, Cali says way is really good. I, I feel like we have touched upon De Palma because we touched upon Pacino. Hooah, hooah! Because we had Sense of a Woman at the. <laughs> We had Pacino at the top of the box office with Scent of a Woman. And, you know, just not that long ago, it feels like. And probably De Palma must have come up in that conversation then. But this film isn't all about De Palma, and it's not all about Pacino. Pacino. (laughs) We're not getting tired of it. You might. (laughs) It's also got Sean Penn, Penelope Ann Miller, Louis Guzman, John Leguizamo... Yeah, Johnny Legs, Mar- uh, Luigi Mario himself. Johnny Legs, is, is that what his friends call him? It's what me and my friends always used to call him because we could never pronounce, yeah, like, you know, we're talking about Super Mario Bros. We could never like pronounce his surname. So we just, like, at particular university, used to, used to call him Johnny Legs. But it's also got a role, I believe, for Vigo Mortensen. Mm. The once in future Strider makes an appearance yeah. in this film. It is, unsurprisingly for Brian De Palma, a crime drama thriller in which Al Pacino stars as Carlito Brigante, a Puerto Rican criminal who vows to go straight and to retire in paradise. Now that doesn't happen because it would be quite a boring film if it did, and also this is a Brian De Palma film. Unsurprisingly, his criminal past proves difficult to escape, he unwittingly ends up being dragged into the same activities that got him imprisoned in the first place, and the film itself is based on a book, but the book is called After Hours, but the film used the title of a different book in the series to avoid being confused with Martin Scorsese's 1985 film of the same name. Sadly, at least in America, this didn't do so well. It got quite a lukewarm reaction at the box office. Clearly over here in Britain, we were fine for more De Palma and more Pacino. Who are? Who are? But subsequently, it has become a bit of a cult hit Golden Globe nominations were around for a number of the people involved. And amazingly, in 2005, there was a direct-to-video prequel called Carlito's Way, Rise to Power. I have never heard of that movie. I I had no idea that there was a a sequel to, or sorry, a prequel to this. I doubt Pacino's heard of it. I really, well, no, no, De Palma's probably heard of it because he got a royalty check at some point. Now, while this movie comes out and tops the charts here in 1994, it was released in America in 1993 because we are still in the era where movies just take an age to cross the Atlantic. But Pacino, he went the long way round because he first heard about this in 1973 whilst Breaking working out. out for Serpico. Blimey. Basically, he met the New York State Court Judge Edwin Torres, who's the author who was writing the book Carlito's Way and After Hours, And when the novels were completed, Pacino read them and liked them, especially for some reason identified with the character of Carlito, and it stuck around. While the film itself took a while to arrive, it was not without its own troubles, Uh, particularly for Pacino. He had a $6 million lawsuit filed against him by Elliot Kastner, a producer, who said that Pacino had gone back on a deal to star in his adaptation of the Carlito movies. And that version was meant to star Marlon Brando as the criminal lawyer. The suit was dropped, the project was abandoned, time ticks on, and boom, here's the De Palma version. Have you Mm. seen this, Luke? 
Not in a long, long, long time. I think I had like a De Palma season when I was at university. Like a lot of movies that we talk about in the show, I don't think I have seen it since. I think I last saw this probably around the time it was premiering on BBC or ITV. So that would be, I guess, 95, 96. Amongst the criticisms it got, most of them were based around it retreading old ground, basically drawing direct comparisons to the work De Palma did on Scarface and The Untouchables. Ebert liked it. He said it was one of De Palma's finest with some of the best set pieces he's done. The soundtrack came in for a lot of praise, and it does sound good. Quite luscious and um, very evocative. That's a word. Mm. That's the word I'll use, evocative. Pacino also came under a bit of criticism for his Puerto Rican accent, slipping into southern drawl and just occasionally going all over the place. Well, we haven't got any new games uh, to talk about, really, but is there anything going on in the magazine before we get into the show itself? Well, this is the first issue of 1994, and therefore they actually did a bit of a retrospective of the first year of Games Master magazine. Oh, cool. Highlighting games that were big headliners in the various issues, And on the second page, they go around the Games Master office and ask every staff member their top five games of the year, which I personally found quite interesting because it really shows the divergent tastes across the office. They then tabulated it and came up with an overall top five. That's great. I love that. Actually, I mean, I I used to do that for the old film website that I used to write for. And in fact, actually, this past year just gone, I did that for um, WrestleTalk, for the the, the channel I work for, um, to to calculate our favorite matches and pay-per-views and and wrestlers of the year. So I think it's a really nice way to to kind of tabulate that. And I'd imagine that we're probably going to get some more varied answers than the ones we did on the Christmas episode uh, of this series. We'll, We'll go through them and we'll see how we do. So first up is Alison, who, if I'm reading the credits at the beginning of the magazine correctly, is the production editor. Now, number five, a game I'm not familiar with, but as a Mega Drive owner, you may be, Rolo to the Rescue. I know of the name, yeah, but I've never played it. At number four for the SNES, Aquatic Games. The James Pond stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had that as a challenge earlier in the series. Yeah, interesting. Number three, on the Amiga CD32. I can't believe I'm seeing the Amiga CD32 in this list. But it's Pinball Fantasies. Oh, cool. That's nice. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's worth being up there at number three. Number two, Echo CD for the Mega CD. It's a gorgeous looking game. Number one, Aladdin. Cracking little choice there. That's actually one that surprisingly didn't come up with on the Games Master episodes. I guess the money had stopped coming in. (laughs) Yeah. Next up is Simon Barnes. He's the deputy art editor. Mm, Maybe he's responsible for the cover that we're looking at or that you're looking at. (laughs) which is someone's wand, it's not mine. But at number five, we have Cybernator on the SNES. Yeah, rings a bell. I think it's a side-scrolling, not runny-jumpy shooty, but certainly walky shooty type thing. Number four, an Amiga game, Cannon Fodder. That's an easy one to make the top five this year. Yep. Only number three for him is Allison's number one, Aladdin, on the Mega Drive. Number two, someone likes a bit of a shooting game. It's Viewpoint on the Neo Geo. Man, you can tell these wow. guys had access to all the consoles. Absolutely. Like, and the, yeah, sorry, go through the, the number one and I'll make my point. Well, number one, I worry for Simon based off this number one. It's Lethal Enforcers on the Mega CD. 
bloody hell that is an outside choice considering that you know the tv show pretty much buried it and then we had a bit of a cac um uh challenge a celebrity challenge off the back of it but like what i really like and appreciate about this and it really shows the difference between print media and the the television show of the games that you've mentioned there we haven't had a street fighter a fifa we haven't had like all you know even clay fighter which was you know which we theorized was paid for or advertised these feel like more real and honest choices. And I think it's, it's shown the difference between how the magazine was designed for people who really were into their games and TV, which was kind of like also looking at that mainstream market. Well, let's see if they continue to buck the trends as we go on, because up next, we've got the deputy editor, Tim Tucker. Number five, Mario All-Stars on the SNES. Nice. I'm amazed that's the first time we've seen that, even though this is only the third. Yeah, totally, yeah. Number four, Pinball Fantasies again on the CD32. Number three, another one that's surprisingly not present on the two we've already looked at, Street Fighter 2 Turbo on the SNES. That's what I mean, yes. It's amazing that that's the first time it's come up. Number two, it's Sensi on the Mega Drive. Nice. And number one, Madden 94, also on the Mega Drive. I mean, they actually, yeah, GameSpot's reviewed Madden 94 earlier this series, and they bloody love the Madden games. His top three is definitely dominated by games i can see being a big part of a multiplayer scene in the office yeah well next up is the art assistant laura who real outside one at number five although possibly from an art point of view quite interesting it's crusty's super funhouse not on the super nintendo on the amiga wow the, yeah the reason why like that one surprises me so much is that we had a review of Krusty Super Funhouse. You know, admittedly, it was the Mega Drive version, but that was in episode one of series two, which is a long-ass time ago. I'm guessing Lord just really, really likes that kind of puzzle game. Yeah. Also, I suppose it doesn't mean she played it back then. It could just mean that she found the disc lay around the office. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Number four for her, Tasmania on the SNES. Oh, I thought I was going to be the Mega Drive one for a second. Then I was about to proper get on board with that. Although that, I think that definitely would have been a last year game as in like a 92 game. Number three is T2, the arcade game on the Mega Drive. If you've got the Menacer, maybe, I guess. Oh, they've definitely got the Menacer in the Games Master Office. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number two, Sensi again. I reckon we're going to be seeing that a lot more over the remainders. In fact, I know we are because I'm kind of looking at the list now. But number one, it's a game that we discussed a couple of weeks ago and that we're going to discuss again today. It's Samurai Showdown on the Neo Geo. Very, very nice. Yeah, good. That's a challenge on this episode. Next up is Les. He's one of the staffies at number five, Sensible Soccer again. Number four, Cannon Fodder again. So we're beginning to see a bit of a pattern. And again, with Sensible Soccer, it's got to be that multiplayer aspect. That's got to be mm -hmm. what keeps people coming back. Number three, clearly, while he's a fan of multiplayer, he likes to play with himself occasionally. It's Shadowrun on the SNES. That's definitely a single-player experience. Yeah. But number two, he doesn't mind getting his pistol out around other people because it's Lethal Enforcers on the Mega CD. I am wondering if it's people playing the multiplayer version, if they're getting more enjoyment out of it that way. Yeah, it could be. Like, I mean, the Games Master review of that, if I remember correctly, was that, you know, if you've got the Menacer, if you've got the gun, then it's... And actually, you know, Lethal Enforcers came with the gun, then it's, it's all right. But if you're playing it with a joypad, then it's really, really awful. So I guess if you've got it in the office, and as you say, they've clearly got, like, all of the gear for it, which is why Terminator 2 is a fun game to play if you've got the Menacer. 
then yeah, you probably are going to have a bit of a, a lark with it. Well, up next is the other staffer. It's Will at number five. Ooh, early entry for Mr. Panasonic. It's Crash and Burn on the 3DO. Nice. That one surprises me. That must be a very late entry. Mm. Number four. Oh, it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. Tetris on the Game Boy. I, I mean, that's an interesting one because like, you know, I suppose if you want to count like any game previously as the best game of 1993, but that doesn't feel like that was a 1993 game. Well, in the opening paragraph, they do say, okay, so maybe one or two we didn't review this year, but it's basically meant as a list of everyone's fondest moments of thumb on joypad action this year. So I guess that that gives them the get out for a couple of them. I guess so. Yeah, maybe. And also it speaks to the lasting impact and memories of Tetris. Mm. I mean, after all the games I've played between the Game Boy coming out and now, Tetris is still in my top 10. That's banging, absolutely. That's why, yeah. Not so sure about number three, Pang on the SNES. Um, I like like Pang. I can get on board with Super Pang. I like Super Pang, but I'm still salty about the fact there isn't a multiplayer on it, when really, (laughs) that's what makes Pang great. Yeah. Number two, it's Cannon Fodder again. And number one, would you Adam and Eve it, Sensible Soccer. You, you talked about like you know that and cannon fodder appearing a lot. The Games Master Office, you know, we and we felt this with Dominic Diamond when he was there as well. It felt like very much an Amiga class of uh, of people and an, an Amiga class of gamers. So I think things like cannon fodder and Sensi sort of make sense to be in people's uh, top games of the year, as opposed to something like FIFA, which is very much a Mega Drive SNES thing. Well, you know, at this point, just a Mega Drive thing. Well, up next is Amanda, who's the art editor. And I think this is the first entry for a console on here, because at number five on the Game Gear, we've got clacks. Bloody what? It's what it says. I, I'm, I'm guessing not only do they have a Game Gear in the office, they've got a power adapter. Yeah, or it's just it's only on her desk. Number four, also on the Game Gear, micro machines. It's definitely just on her desk. Number three on the Amiga, Rodland. I'm going to have to defer to you on that one. I'll have to defer to someone else. No idea. (laughs) Number two, also slightly rude sounding, Pipe Mania on the Amiga. Now, Pipe Mania, I know, because that's a game style that, like, if I remember correctly, when you're in uh, the PS4 Spider-Man game and you're having to complete the paths, that's kind of Pipe Mania style. Fun little puzzle game. I can see why it'd be a good time killer. But this is cheating a bit because her number one is also Micro Machines, but this time on the Mega Drive. Hmm. She very much enjoyed Micro Machines then. Enjoyed it so much that she liked it on console and to be able to, to take on the bus to play home as well. I'm assuming you mean a very short bus journey. <laughs> yeah, there's a Game Gear after all. Or a very long extension lead. Yeah. Well, last up, it's Tommy Big Bollocks. It's Andy, the editor, who, number five, another one liking this game, Lethal Enforcers on the Mega CD, Number four, Zelda, Link's Awakening on the Game Boy. Quality choice, can't object. Quality choice. Amazed that like some of the big hitters, like it almost feels like we've had two different years between the TV show and the magazine. In many ways, we really have because we've had them at odds with each other. Oh yeah. But number three, Cannon Fodder again. That, that's entirely fine. I can understand that. Number two, Mario All-Stars on the SNES. And number one, Street Fighter 2 Turbo, also on the SNES. So looking at that, I'm guessing that Tim and Andy, 
they play Street Fighter 2 a lot because they both had those games in their top five. Yeah, a, a surprising lack of Street Fighter in all of those top fives. Uh, FIFA being another one, particularly if they like multiplayers as well. But yeah, like it, it feels like it's very much an Amiga style of office. I'm guessing they may actually still be using Amigas or some stuff for some of the graphical art stuff. I mean, yeah, probably. I mean, we've seen them advertise that as one of the big functions and features. Now, we then get on to the overall top five, which they say was decided by a torturously objective and furiously fair rating system. Do you want to try and take a guess at what some of the games in the top five will be? Well, if it is a combined of those lists that we've just had then, the games that came up the most were Cannon Fodder, Lethal Enforcers on the Mega CD, uh, Sensible Soccer, Street Fighter 2. Those came up, you know, those four came up a lot. And I guess Mario All-Stars came up a couple of times, but not often enough for me to think it would make it into the top five. Well, I've just noticed that this is a top five with two number fours, so I guess they were tied on one. But what I can tell you is out of that six top five, yeah, that makes sense, you've got five. Okay. (laughs) There is one game still to get. Hmm. Now, when we've done these magazine-based quizzes, you've not always done so well. So the fact you've just blasted five out of six. The five I said were, well, yeah, so I had Street Fighter. Yeah. I had Sensible Soccer, Cannon Fodder, Lethal Enforcers. And Mario All-Stars. Oh, Mario All-Stars. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Um, Crikey, what were the other games they mentioned a lot in there? I suppose there was Micro Machines, because that technically came twice in one person's. Micro Machines would deserve it. I can tell you that the game you're missing came up twice. Came up twice. Oh, this is a, this is a memory thing now. I've got to try and remember the discussion we've just had. Like, you, know, you just listened to a very smooth edit of this. It was a bit more bitty when we were recording it. That's the story of the entire podcast so far. <laughs> uh, what else came up in that discussion a couple of times? We said it's a multiplayer thing, so it must be a multiplayer game. Fuck me. Uh, shit on a stick. Um, Would you like a hint? Uh, yeah, I'll give us a hint. It's not a multiplayer game. Oh, Boulder Dash. I mean, I thought I was just stopping you making a clonking mistake there. <laughs> okay, so what's been a big single-player game this year? Pinball Fantasies? Is that your final answer? I'll go with Pinball Fantasies. It came up twice. It's not. Oh, man, yeah. you were so close to the clean sweep. It was Aladdin. Oh, fuck. <gasps> of course it was Aladdin. <laughs> Stupid friggin' Aladdin. I was so amazed you didn't get that. They were so early in the people's uh, rankings of things. That was like, honestly, that was about 20 minutes ago we were talking about those people's lists. And realistically, by the time I'm edited it, it'll be about seven minutes. (laughs) But five out of six, Luke. So technically for a top five with six entries, you actually batted 100 because there were only meant to be five in the first place. And you can't get 110%. That's impossible. That's That's impossible. It is. It's absolutely impossible. You can't get 110% and you can't get six in a top five. To be another exciting heat of the Games Master Team Championship. Once again, three more teams are preparing to do battle for a place in the championship semi-final. Are they good enough? Let's find out. Let's go and meet the teams. This one. And I'm watching this, and I'm, I was thinking, how many more first hit round heats have we still got of this? And then I've thought, well, of course there's going to be a lot before the semi-final because you essentially need to have nine heats to create your semi-final to then be able to create your final because you need three sets of semis. I was, I was just thinking, like, when the hell are we going to get to the fucking semis? Is phrasing a thing anymore? <laughs> yeah, not on this podcast. No, definitely not. 
But while we may still have a whole bunch of qualifiers to go, you can't say that Dex isn't still enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is like, because this must have been an exhausting run of of taping. Because this must have been a handful of days, if that. I do not know where he gets his energy from. And I'll leave it at that. This is the Warwickshire 49ers. They've come here to do some uh, some good work tonight. Come on, tell us your names. Frank. Frank. Zeb. Zeb. Gaz. Gaz. Are you ready for tonight's proceedings? Are you going to win? We're going to win. You're going to win? These other people got no chance. They've got no chance. Right, well, give this 49ers a big round of applause and let's go see the other tactics from Bath. Let's get them outside. Come on, chaps, out you come. You spent enough time in there. It's far too smoky. Right, tell us your names. Dan. Dan, team captain? Yeah. Right, Dan and you have been. Oh. Oh. Kelvin. Kelvin. So, you've heard the 49ers giving it the large. What about you lot? How are you going to do? Oh, we're going to do wicked. We're from Bath, but I mean, we don't play clean. Ah, <laughs> oh, they're from Bath, but don't play clean. Oh, well, some fall on stony ground. Good luck. I thought it was funny. All right, then. Give them a big round of applause. <laughs> The Mega Maniacs from Essex. Come out, boys. Come out, chaps. Looking very nice in their yellow hats, aren't they? Don't look funky. Right, tell us your names. Russ. Russ. Rob. Rob. Stuart. Stuart. So, you've heard the other two teams giving it the large. What about you? How are you going to do? It's all over for a minute. We're going to win. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah, I like heavy tactics because they've got the really good joke about the fact that uh, we're from Bath, but we don't do clean, which the crowd do not give the response that that deserved. Yeah, Dex gets it. I get it. They get it. The crowd just like catch flies with their mouth also i really like their name like 49ers that's a that's a team name you put it with warwickshire Mm. Mm. yeah yeah. Mm. clearly american football fans yeah but warwickshire it just doesn't trip off the tongue in a way that goes with the word 49ers exactly like you know the san francisco 49ers like that sounds really cool because it's san francisco but, you know, you come from Warwickshire and you're like, well, we've got to be the Warwickshire 49ers then, I guess. As you're right. It doesn't quite have the same pizzazz. But I suppose you just call them the 49ers. Which they pretty much do for the rest of the episode. Yeah, and we've got the Mega Maniacs from Essex. But like for me, the, the, the 49ers was the team that jumped out to me because they look so much older than everyone else in this whole team championships. And we later find out that that's because they are. Yeah, and I'll be honest, when they came out, Frank, I thought, was actually asleep. He genuinely looked like he was ready for a nap, which I know the feeling. He also just didn't seem very with it. Dex asks Frank if they're going to win, and Frank seems briefly puzzled by this yeah. question. I mean, do you wonder if it's a case of that they arrived as part of this team championships and just had that moment where like, oh my God, we're so much older than everyone else here. Because there are some teams that have got, you know, like 10-year-olds in them. And we, fi- we find out later, Frank's 35. He's not just a bit older than, than some of the players here. He's a lot older than some of the players here. He's probably older than Dex. I was going to say, he's older than Dex. He's older than Dave. If you listen to the way Dave talks about him, he may as well be clinically dead. So, yeah, so you know, maybe that's probably why he's not quite as enthused. He's like, oh, my God, I am so much older than everyone else here. Because I've had that. When I went to Reading Festival on my own in 2009 because Faith No More had reunited and I wanted to go see them play in the Radio 1 stage, I had a moment where I was like, oh, wow, I am like so much older than everybody else here. And I feel like I don't belong here. I've had it kind of going the other way when I went to see Jasper Carrot. And I realized that if you put mine and my partner's age together, it was still less than the average age of everyone else in the room. Hmm. 
But anyway, as you said, we've got the Heavy Tactics from Bath, who are probably my favourite team name thus far. And also yeah. my note was Dick Bath Lives. <laughs> and yeah, the Mega Maniacs, which I'm trying to work out if they're wrestling fans or they're just Mega Drive enthusiasts. I thought it was more of the former, but I do like the name Mega Maniacs. I think that's a really good one. Uh, but it's time for our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? For my first challenge, I've selected the beat-em-up Samurai Showdown for the Neo Geo. Using their impressive weapons, our contestants must swashbuckle or smash their opponents into submission over a single round. I'll award five points to the winners of each bout, zero to the losers. On guard! Now, this is a round-robin tournament that I am super into. When they announced, like, you know, we talked about Samurai Showdown a couple of weeks ago uh, in the, the magazine section. And when it came up as a challenge here, I was beyond thrilled and beyond excited as well, because we get to see three rounds of this. It's so nice to see it running. Um, it's worth saying about this game, while it is an SNK game and the programming team were veterans of SNK, there were also some former Capcom programmers involved, which maybe speaks as to why this game had a little bit of oomph that mm -hmm. was missing from some of the previous SNK games. I don't know if those programmers were ones from Street Fighter, but it would make sense if they were. Yeah, and you can see from the way that these players play this game that if you come from a Street Fighter Mortal Kombat background, this feels more accessible than some of the other uh, Neo Geo fighters that we've had on Games Master. Now, we're seeing the kind of original version here. This is on the Neo Geo home system, which is roughly the same as the arcade system. There were a few regional differences depending on which area you played the game in, or rather which console you played the game in. Uh, but it would be the same cartridge, because Neo Geos weren't region locked. But if you put Samurai Showdown, the cartridge, into an American Neo Geo, the blood would be made yellow and basically look like piss or sweat. If you took the same cartridge and put it in the Japanese one, full blood, full gore, all of the stuff. But in addition to the Neo Geo, you could also get this game for the Super NES, the Game Boy, the Mega Drive, the Game Gear, the Sega CD, the Sega Saturn, the 3DO, FM Downs, PlayStation, and PlayStation 2. Yeah. You can also go and buy it for $2.99 on the Nintendo Switch, and I'm sure it's on the Xbox and the PlayStation digital stores as well. And why not own it? It's a cracker of a game. Yeah, it looks so good. Like, this challenge really made me want to go and play this game. Really wanted me to go pick up, whether that is on, like, you know, an online store or something like that, like if I can find it on the PS4 store or something. But yeah, it really did make me want to, like, boot up an emulator of some description and, and, and give it a whirl. Amazingly, the 3DO version is the best port. It's the one that included the zooming in and out, it included all the gore, it included the finishing moves... As a result of including the finishing moves, it didn't actually get sold in some stores in America. Oh, wow. Whereas all the other home versions made some concessions, either missing a character or removing gore or being zoomed out. So rather than have the dynamic moving in and out, which it had, it just locked at a camera distance. And that distance meant you also lost a lot of the detail on the characters. 
Well, let's see how our players get on. We've got Zabir and Kev up first um, with Kev playing as Homaru and um, Zabir playing as Jubi. Um, and but yeah, like instantly from the get go, you know, we had the, the wrestling one, a couple, like three count bout a couple of episodes ago. And it was the players really struggling to get hold of it. We actually saw this with Elf Mania as well, really struggling to just get hold of how the fighting game works. This is one of those challenges where our players have sat down and instantly they get it. They are busting out special moves left, right, and center. They are flowing with their movements. I mean, really, this is all um, Homaru this round. Like, it is it all him. But at the same time, you know, it's not like Zabir wasn't pulling off any special moves while they were playing. This is a fun challenge to watch. These guys have their fighting game fundamentals down. I don't think any of the people involved are super familiar with Samurai Showdown. Absolutely not. But because they've got the core mechanics down, they make for some entertaining fights. And these are some entertaining fights. And I rewound the first bout and watched it a couple of times just because I was kind of soaking in Samurai Showdown again and seeing it move. And the referee, backwards and forwards in the background, were holding up the flags to show what decision that they were making. And yeah, this game is just so much fun. It's so detailed. It reminds me a bit, actually, of the um, the, the Tournament Fighters challenge that we had in the team championships, where the lad was like, you yeah, know, I'm really good at Street Fighter, and this game's a lot like Street Fighter. You know, these players aren't experts at this game but they are at least getting to grips with it, which we didn't see in Elf Mania or Three Count Bouts, which I think makes the, the challenge really, really exciting. And we see that in the second round as well with the Mega Maniacs versus um, Kev from the Heavy Tactics. It's Rush from the Mega Maniacs. And because Rush starts playing as Galford and Galford's got the dog with him. And you've got like these animations around the barrels that get sliced open and stuff. Like this one is like, it's a bit more even the second round. Kev wins again. So that's 10 points there for his team. I don't know, man. I just, I just really, really enjoyed this. It is worth saying that whilst the definite best bit of this is what you see on the screen, Dave Perry is doing his best to do play-by-play. Dex is being a mad lad. Yeah, Dex is all over the show with this episode, particularly during the commentary. I, I feel like he is getting worse the longer this goes on. I am white on the left of the screen. Andrew Bay is the guy in black on the right-hand side of the screen. The one thing I do know is they can't hear each other. Once the game actually starts, because the crowd are going eight points and obviously there's audio from the game mixed in, they definitely can't hear each other. Like, like Dex can ask a question maybe at the beginning of the challenge, and that will be the last time that they ever seem to actually directly interact. But you have Dave going, and there's the dog, and the dog can be activated by special moves. Meanwhile, Dex is going, whoa, there's a dog. Who left their dog in here? Caught blimey, apples and pears. Goldberg's got a dog with him. You'll see him. Right the barrel. The That's one of his special moves. Come on, Russell. The sort out of his apartment. I don't find it actually too distracting because whilst they can't hear each other, the timbres of the voice is different enough that I can hear Dave and I can hear Dex. And it kind yeah. of reminds me of, hey, guess what? Bringing up wrestling again. Uh, in the 90s, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. Jim Ross doing the play-by-play and Jerry Lawler screeching next to him. And they would frequently overlap. 
particularly if there was, you know, a female at ringside, Jim Ross would be trying to do the match and Jerry would be being a horn dog. Not on the subject matter, but the dynamic is kind mm-hmm. of the same here. Yeah, totally. Like, because Dex is just, he's providing commentary, I suppose, in a way, but he is not commentating on the action. He is just commentating on the things that he can see. And kind of what I like about this round robin style tournament thing that we've got here is that it ends up with our final round being between uh, the Mega Maniacs and the 49ers. And both of them need this win. Both of them need this fight. These five points. It's it's fighting for pity points at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The heavy tactics have got ten points. They're laughing at this point, but it's now a fight to stay in the race. And they stick with the same characters, which I did appreciate. It gave a sense of continuity, which I liked. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. I think if you're Sabir as well, that makes sense as well because the one thing that he has got down is um, uh, Dubai's um, javelin. Uh, attack which you know dave is quite smartly dave kind of compares that uh, you know for the the casual viewer to e-honda's 100 hand slap it's a pointy version exactly it's the same principle dave makes that point on commentary and he has got that and he's like well this is the move that i need so i'm just going to keep on nailing this javelin move and and it does and it works to his advantage and he gets the win and it's worth saying that russell does also get the hang or definitely starts to find the rhythm for some of Galford's moves because he starts to throw those electric sparks out during that last bout and he lands a couple of them. It's not a hugely one-sided fight. There is a lot of offense. It just doesn't connect. That's That's the big issue. But, oh, that may be one of my favorite fighting rounds from the team championships thus far, just for entertainment value alone. Yeah, I thought it was a really, really great challenge. I thoroughly enjoyed that one. But even though we've spelt it out, Dex, you hyperactive little monkey, what are the scores? All right, so in third position, we've got the Mega Maniacs. They failed to win any bout, so that means they've got zero points. In second position, we've got the 49ers, who managed to run away with one victory. That means they're awarded five points. But way in front is the Bath Bad Boys with ten points. Heavy tactics! It's spelling trouble here for the Mega Maniacs, who are currently on Goose Eggs. Heavy tactics all the way out in 10. They are going to have to pull something out of the bag in the second challenge if they're going to stay in this. Well, they've got a little bit of time to do that because guess what, Luke? It's time for the reviews and another chance for the Room of the Future competition. Hello again. You've mastered your Dragon Punch, but now there's a load of new special moves to be mastered on the new beat-em-up for the Mega Drive with 10 characters to choose from, each with 24 moves. Eternal Champions looks like it could be the next blistering beat-em-up. Well, the first thing you want to know is, is it better than Street Fighter 2? Well, it's not better than Street Fighter 2, but I'll stick my neck out and say it's as good as. It's extremely tough, and I defy any of you to beat it in one sitting. It's really, really good. It's a 24-meg cart, which allows pretty good graphics, and the animation's okay. The sprites are very big, but ultimately, the action's pretty dull. Our Motley crew in the review zone this week includes Jazz Regnall from Mean Machines, Sega, Steve Merritt also from Mean Machines, and Joss Bilson from Sega Zone. And up first, it is a... A game that, like, Sega, if they didn't always have Street Fighter, they, and they weren't sure if they were ever going to get Street Fighter, so what they wanted to do was get their version of Street Fighter out there, and that version of Street Fighter, although it came after the release of Special Champ Edition, was Eternal Champions. This was going to be Sega's answer to Street Fighter, and they pushed the hell out of this game when it came out. Our friends over at Sonic the Comic the Podcast 
they you know did their coverage of it recently because it had a couple of strips in Sonic the Comic. It even it even had like a special poster mag like edition of Sonic the Comic of Sonic the Poster Mag that was all based around the Eternal Champions, and like they did so much pushing of this. And I love the story of Eternal Champions. I love the plot of the game. I love its theme. I love how thematic it is. And I really enjoyed the comic strips that went with it as well. So I was really excited to see that here in the review zone. And I know we get it as a challenge in an upcoming episode of the Team Championships. I think something I hadn't appreciated, because, you know, not a Mega Drive owner, didn't play Eternal Champions much, and even in later years didn't play it much, is I don't think I realised until fairly recently quite how much it borrowed from Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, with all of its finishing moves and everything, yeah. And with the Sega CD version, it just mm -hmm. got even more overblown. It, the, the Mega CD version of this game is bananas with its finishing moves. But even though I didn't have a Mega Drive, I could have had a handheld game by Tiger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was a spin-off. There was a handheld game by Tiger called Eternal Champions Special Moves Edition. I like Jazz's introduction of this as well, where he was like, I know what you're all thinking. I know, we, you know, the question on everyone's lips is, is it better than Street Fighter 2? I mean, it isn't, but it is on par with Street Fighter 2, which I don't think I fully agree with uh, Jazz on that. I do agree with uh, Steve, though, when he says, like, you know, it's tough. You won't beat it in one sitting because it is it's really hard. I don't, I went, so when I say that, I don't think I, I agree with Jazz as much. As I don't think Eternal Champions is as accessible as Street Fighter 2 was. Partly because it's that much harder. It is. It's a tough game. Like, I think Street Fighter 2 and Mortal Kombat really has sort of like a pick up and play element to it. But I think like more, like Eternal Champions, you really had to spend some time with in order to get on, to get anywhere with it. And it's crazy because if you think that they would make it this hard to appeal to the die-hard Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat fans. That would make sense, but if they were producing this at a point when they wouldn't know if they were going to have Street Fighter, they could be isolating a good chunk of their audience there. If they wanted this to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with those two, they'd need to make it accessible. And we're going to go straight back to that first challenge. Samurai Showdown, it's got the cartoony looks of Street Fighter, it's got the blood and the weapons and the kind of like the kind of slightly more mature Bucky O'Hare is air to it of Mortal Kombat, but it is accessible. Yeah, I think that's where Eternal Champions slightly falls down for me. Is it, it Rather than trying to be like a Capcom fighter, it's trying to be more like an SNK fighter, but in a Capcom style. Or, a, you know, in a sort of a Mortal Kombat style, the Midway style. But I, so I, I don't think it, it fully works. But that's not to say that I, I'm a, in, down on Eternal Champions, because I do think it's a very fun game. I think it's a very good game. And I love the character design in it. And as I said, like the story of, you know, these champions being brought in from different periods of time to fit together for this one tournament, I think it's a really fun concept. Now, much like Street Fighter, if you only had a three button pad, you would have to use the start button to toggle between punches and kicks. Yeah. You could also get the six button pad and happy days are here again. Or if you wanted to look like you were trying to kill an invisible bee, you could buy the Sega Activator. This was also a packing game for the Sega Activator. Was it really? Bloody hell, we haven't actually talked about... Have we talked about the Sega Activator on this? Uh, no. I mean, I have never used one. I don't know if you have. Oh, well, no, I've never seen one. I've only ever seen videos of it online. Do they actually exist? 
is this actually like the Sinbad movie that doesn't exist? Is this is this just another case of people having kind of a mass hallucination of something that didn't exist? Did anyone ever own one of these weird activator rings? AVGN did do an episode on this. Deep fakes, man. Deep fakes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, uh, he did it with um, a former WrestleTalk collaborator, Keith Apicary, uh, who once did a video with us. And we were like going to do a lot of work with Keith Apicary because he was a really nice guy and we thought he was really funny. And it was going to be a, a long working partnership and it was one of the most disliked videos we've ever posted. And the feedback was so bad, he never returned. Oh, <laughs> I know, which is a shame because it's I thought what he actually did for us was fucking hilarious. Everyone's a critic. Oh, yeah. I'd never want to criticise someone else's work. Moving on, Joss <laughs> Bilson is probably the most negative on all of this, where he talks about it having a 24-meg cartridge. Do you remember when they used to use the megs in the cartridge oh. as a marketing beef? Dude, it worked, though. Because, like, I was thinking about it, when he was talking about it, it's got a 24-meg cartridge. And, you know, here I am, 1994, nine-year-old me would have been like, that means it's big. I have a diddly-dick clue as to what that means. In the same way that I've got diddly-dick clue what bits are, but I knew that bits were important because I had a 16-bit console. And there was another console out there that claimed to be 64-bit, which means that was a really big thing. And there were lots of talk about 32-bit consoles. And I had no clue what it meant, but I knew it was important. The same with this 24-meg cartridge. It was on the box. Um, Earthworm Jim's got it on its box as well as a 24 meg cartridge zero clue what it meant but I knew that I, it meant that it was good I guess I mean Joss says that they used it to get some good graphics the animation is okay but he says ultimately the action is dull 84% it's it's not the score I was expecting for Eternal Champions actually no I'll, I'll take that back it was the score I was expecting for Eternal Champions but kind of based on Jazz's and Steve's comments I thought it was going to be a bit higher Stand by, I bet you grunt. Okay, the arcade game was a shoot 'em up classic. Now, with a frenzied excitement of the coin op has been captured in a spanking new conversion for the Game Boy. Or has it? The problem with this conversion is it tries to capture the fast action of the arcade game, but it just doesn't. I wouldn't recommend this to my worst enemy. After a great arcade classic which swallowed plenty of my 10p's and a fairly good SNES conversion, I'm surprised they bothered to release this at all. It's awful. But oh dear, up next, uh, it's the arcade conversion of Total Carnage on the Game Boy. And you want to talk about like a difference of opinion. Like, you know, you had Jazz and Steve talking very highly of Eternal Champions. No one has got a positive thing to say about Total Carnage here on the Game Boy. And it doesn't look particularly good. And when we did the Bad Influence episode and we were talking about um, Smash TV on the Game Gear, and I'm like, I don't think Smash TV would be that fun to play on a Game Gear. I don't think Total Carnage would be that fun to play on a Game Boy. Which is a real shame because as games go, Total Carnage, in many of its other forms, including the arcade where it came from, is a cracker of a game. Uh, really it's, it's featured in that documentary Insert Coin on the story of Midway. It is indeed, yeah. And... Yeah, it's a great game. It's one of these games where you technically have almost two joysticks in the arcade or on the SNES, you treat the four face buttons as another D-pad and you use the D-pad to move your character and then you use the four face buttons to shoot in different directions. Which is why Super Smash TV is the best home conversion, I would say, because it's the, the pad is the pad built for it. The Mega Drive one suffers because it's only got the three buttons. Absolutely. But then we have the Game Boy which has two buttons. Yeah, it's the Smash TV on the Game Gear problem. I mean, two's less than four. It's not good. <laughs> this port 
is not good. I think Joss says it all when he says he's surprised they bothered to release this. It's awful. Yeah, 58% for Total Carnage on the Game Boy there. Not a, not a great effort. But Luke, guess what? What's that? There was a Jaguar port of this that went unreleased until 2005. So it did technically get a release then. It technically got released 10 years after work began on the game originally. <laughs> Time now for the second part of our fantastic Room of the Future competition. The second clue is coming up, so get your red filters out and take a look at this. Remember, the answer to each of the three questions is a number. Write down the answer to this question next to the one from last week. If you've got them both, you're two-thirds of the way to getting the code that will let you enter the room of the future and win one of our fantastic games machines. The final question is coming up next week. Now, when we did the room of the future last week, um, you were uh, quite boastful that you didn't need the uh, the red lens thing to be able to see the question. And I didn't need the red lens thing this week either because I saw two words and I could guess the rest of the question. Because I saw that I could make out the words Street Fighter and I could make out the words Mega Drive. And I was like, I'm going to guess that the question is, how many characters are there? And how many characters are there, Luke? There are 12 characters. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I still didn't use the red lens. I, I'm kind of thinking that I won't need to use the red lens <laughs> at all. They're still downstairs. I've seen episode 20 and I, I could work out, I, again, I could just make out two words from that. And I was like, mm, I'm going to guess. I, I think I'm going to take a guess at what the rest of the question is. But only two reviews. It's almost like we're having to cut time in this episode because we've got an extra challenge coming up, Luke. Well, I don't know about that, but let's find out what our second challenge is. What are we playing, Games Master? Tonight's platform game is on the charmingly named Twinbee Rainbow Bell Adventure for the Super Nintendo. Our contestants must collect as many coins as possible by charging through the cavernous landscape and by using the Super Power Jump, which will propel their character at high speed for hordes of coins in otherwise inaccessible places. I'll allow 45 seconds and three lives from this task. Five points will be awarded to the winner, two for the second place, and zero for the last. Jump to it. It's not the easiest It's a name to, to write down. It's Pop and Twin B Rainbow Bell Adventures on the Super Nintendo. Real, like, outside pick uh, for, for this style of challenge, but I really like the fact that it's there. Dex, who, yeah, doesn't really know video games, has not got a f***ing clue about this game, but I don't think he's alone. I reckon a good proportion of the viewing audience have no idea what this is, apart from those that probably read Superplay, because Superplay freaking loved Konami games. They loved Pop and Twinbee. They loved Parodius. They loved all of those kind of wacky... Con do you remember when Konami made games, Luke? Oh, mate, do I remember when Konami made games? Friggin' hell, Konami made brilliant games. And I loved Pop and Twinbee in all of their guises. I loved Parodius. Parodius, Super Parodius, Sexy Parodius, whatever you want to call it. They were some fun but tough shooter games. This is a runny, jumpy platformer, but it still has the look. It still has the feel. It still looks like it's crazy-ass fun. Yeah, this is, and this is going to be a really like interesting challenge as well because you've got to collect as many coins as possible. But Pop and Twinbee's got like it's got a mechanic to it, which is the charging of the jump, getting the jump in the right direction, and you essentially bounce around the stage in order to collect the coins. 
And judging by our players that we get, I would say only one of them really gets to grips with the mechanic. I would absolutely agree. It is worth pointing out in this game, I'm not sure if we're playing the American, Japanese or European version here. We don't really see enough text on screen to make that call. But there were big differences between the three. The Japanese version had the levels kind of arranged in a quadrilateral form with lots of different connections between the different stages and levels would have multiple exits. Mm. So it's like the alternate exits in Mario World, similar yeah. sort of thing. So there were different ways you could run through the game. There were different endings you got depending on how well you did and what path you followed. Came to port it to the Western world. Nope, we're making that some bitch linear. There's one path, one way to the exit. I don't know if that's been corrected in any future ports or any different versions that have been released down the line. I would hope it has. Other key differences, a mechanical one, Japanese version, battery backup. Over here in Europe, it got the password. That was it. Twinbee Rainbow Bell Adventure. Never heard of it, but no doubt Dave Perry has. Oi, Dave, we've got Robin the Maniacs up first. Tell us a bit about him, will you please? Well, Rob's a Super Nintendo expert. He's got an awful lot to do to get his team back into the championship tonight, so it's going to depend on whether his nerves hold out, I Well, think. let's hope it does. I'm sure it won't. <laughs> All right, he's got 45 seconds to collect as many coins as he possibly can. Well, we've got Rob up first, who Dave says is a SNES expert, but he really does need to get his team. Like, it is up to him. He has got to set the pace here. And it is up to him to get his team back into this. And he is the player that I think has got the best handle of this. And he does pretty great, really. From the very get-go, he is comfortable with this. He is falling at the right pace. And it's when you get to that jump and like you charge your jump and you nail it and you bounce around and you collect a buttload of coins. Then you get into a secret area and you collect an even bigger amount of buttload of coins. And he gets to 145 coins with 20 seconds left of his 45 second challenge. And he dies with four seconds left on the clock and still 145 coins. He takes a wrong turn somewhere. He takes a wrong turn and then he just stands still. I don't understand why towards the end of that challenge, I, I don't understand why he does what he does, because he just kind of go. he almost gives up. He's almost just like, oh, I'll do. Yeah, it's almost like he falls into an area where he knows there's not going to be a lot of coins left. I thought he was trying to do the, the charge thing again. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. It feels like he's just sort of like, just sort of stops and stands still a little bit. Are we in a situation where maybe he thought because he'd taken damage, and it was the first time he took damage, that that was it, the challenge was over? Did he not understand that he actually had three hearts? Mm, could be. I don't know. When they cut to him, he just looks slightly perplexed as to why the clock is still going. Frank's up next to the 49ers. Dave, Frank, is he going to beat that 145 score, do you reckon? Well, firstly, Frank is going to hate me for saying this, but he's 35 years old. But he is a real Mario buster. He should relish a Super Nintendo challenge. Okay, he's going to try and show the young pups exactly what the skill's all about. Uh, up next, it's Frank, who is our 35-year-old Mario buster here who is apparently going to show these young pups what it's all about. Over 35, Luke. May as well be dead. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know why you're still here, Ash. Really. What's the point, mate? To be honest, I ask myself that every Thursday. I just don't know. <laughs> I'm in my final year, apparently, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just almost counting down the days. Gold watch and cyanide pill, and that's your <laughs> lot. I mean, mate, you're, you're counting down the days. You're, you're a YouTuber for a living. What's going to happen to you then? Oh, mate, don't I know it. 
We are, I mean, we were having conversations actually just last week when we suddenly realized how much younger our audience is than us. Um, when we were talking about a match type that's making a comeback, and it's a match type that I know from the 90s, but our audience have no idea and have never heard of it before. And it was that moment where I was like, oh no, oh, well, maybe, I, maybe I'm too old to be on YouTube. I'm certainly too bald, but I, I think maybe I'm too old to be on YouTube now. Mate, you just need to skip to tech moan. Just start reviewing old, obscure, like, technology formats and that that's that's what happens once you go past 35 dex has a bit of a diamondism in this challenge not an intentional one because i just think that dex is being dex in this episode and i will say like you know i was going to wait to the end of this but i feel that this is the most annoying i've found dex throughout all of series three and i actually think he's been pretty grand through all of season three but this was the episode where i was like hey starting to grate on my tits a little bit but there was a moment during this when he did say but yeah, he's busy bezing it up in the background. That's what he is. He's the kind of the equivalent of bez. He's got his maracas. In, in this case, his maraca is a lip ribbon microphone. The thing I dislike most about this entire run for Frank is that Dave is right. Yeah, it, I mean, he is right, isn't he? Because Frank is, he sort of got a hang of the mechanic of the charging thing but he fires off in the completely the wrong direction and he like just loses so much time and loses so many opportunities. He does get coins. He gets up to 110, but Dave says, he goes, I, I just think the nerves got the better of him. I've played this game and the charge jump mechanic is kind of twitchy. Once you find the rhythm of it, it's grand, but how long did they have to play this in the green room? How totally. long did they have on each? It's, also, whereas with things like Samurai Showdown, they can practice on that multiplayer. Yeah. This is a case of, well, there is a multiplayer in this game. This would be them doing single player runs. Dan is up next and Dave says he's got the luxury of knowing his team is 10 points ahead. So the pressure is off him. The pressure may be off, but he suddenly finds himself at 144 coins with eight seconds left. Oh, it's tense. It's it's very key to point out to this, and I think one of the reasons why I think I enjoyed the the first half of this so much is that if he ties, then the Mega Maniacs are going to get five points, which is going to tie them with the Forty ers But if he gets two more and he gets to one hundred and forty six, then the Mega Maniacs are only going to get two points, which means that the Forty ers will go through into the final challenge. So the real drama there is: will he get one? or two more coins at the end of this challenge? Who is going to go through to the final round? Or who's going to go through? Are we going to get a tiebreaker? Or are the 49s going straight through? And just at the end of this, he gets to 145 coins and then gets squashed and his, and his challenge is over. We've got a draw for first place, which is going to make a very interesting trip to Dex and the scoreboard. All right, the 49ers didn't do so well on that last challenge. They've got zero points because they came last. Now, we've got two teams in joint second on the second challenge. They both score five points. That's the Mega Maniacs and Heather Tactics. So the current standings are like this. We've got the Mega Maniacs with five points and the 49ers with five points. But out in front is Heavy Tactics with 15 points. Oh, it's a tiebreaker, Luke. We've not had one of these in a few episodes. Oh, another tiebreaker. I like an episode with a tiebreaker. It means we get more games and it's also more chaotic. First time I watched this, as soon as we went to two reviews and the Room of the Future competition, I thought, aye, aye, we've got a tiebreaker in this episode. <laughs> but 
what game are we going to be playing for the tiebreaker? Tell us, O oh Games Master. I've selected the classic beat-em-up Mortal Kombat for this tiebreaker. Our contestants must simply batter their opponent to the ground in a single round contest in order to qualify for this evening's final. Oh, fucking brilliant. It's that super cute Mortal Kombat game. Tell you what, not a bad choice for a nice, quick, single round decider. It's yeah. almost as much time as flipping a coin would take. It really is, particularly because we, okay, so we've got Stuart playing as Raiden and we've got Gary playing as Sub-Zero, um, Stuart of the Mega Maniacs, Gary of the 49ers. And Gary makes a catastrophic error in his tactics here because he's playing as Sub-Zero. And you'd think if you're playing as Sub-Zero, you'd be using your freeze attack. You would be using your um, like shadow punch thing. You'd be using a lot of his good tactics. He just crouches and he waits for Stuart to get close to him so he can try and uppercut him. And he misses every single time. And Raiden essentially gets a flawless victory because he just works rings around him by doing his special moves. I have no idea what Gary was thinking. But the decisive victory does mean that it's heavy tactics versus the Mega Maniacs in the final. The 49ers say goodbye. Oh, Frankie, 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 Gaza. How'd it go? What went wrong, Gaz? Bad choice character. You got it. You're out of competition. Unlucky, guys. Thanks for coming down and taking part. And in that post-match, Gaz just goes, I chose the wrong character. Bullshit, did you? You chose one of the best, simplest characters in the game. You made an error. Now, I'm wondering if when he said he chose the wrong character, he means literally he chose the wrong character for him. Well, maybe perhaps, but like, I don't know, man. Like, I just think if you're picking Sub-Zero, it's like picking Ryu or Ken. Like, you have basically got all of the tools at your your disposal there. I think the error was on him trying to do his crouching uppercut tactic, and it it did not work. Either way, he biffed it. He did biff it hard. Right, two teams left. They'll be battling out for a place in our championship semi-finals in the second part, as well as a very special celebrity challenge. So stay tuned. Don't go away. We'll be right back after these messages. Saturday Stonker. Every Saturday, The Sun gives you a 24-page guide to the week's TV, an eight-page racing pullout, and an eight-page guide to the weekend soccer. And this Saturday, you can find out how to get free Captain Scarlet Cups from Pizza Hut. All this in Saturday's great value, 20p Sun. Brian, people ask, how do you cope with being a disembodied brain, just floating in a jar with no girls, no music, no car, no parties? It's not so bad, I say. I just play with my Game Boy. <laughs> Till they all get here. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The North's biggest caravan and leisure home show, Expo 94, is at the GMEX from the 27th to the 30th of January. Discover for yourselves the large selection of caravans, holiday homes, residential park homes, awnings, accessories, and a great selection of tourists. Motor homes, too. The family day out with lots to see, lots to do. Don't miss the North's biggest caravan and leisure home show, Expo 94, at the GMEX Manchester, the 27th to the 30th of January. Half price Thursday and Friday. break that was right now it's time for our celebrity challenge we've got a celebrity who's a lot of fun and so the challenge is going to be a lot of fun i'm sure as well please put your hands together for chris agabusa i'm doing good mate how you doing thank you for coming down very well thank you very much right you're going to take part in the challenge for us looking forward to it mate yeah you're going to do well I'm the Don, mate. I am the Don. <laughs> you are the I'm Don. The Don the, when it comes to computer games, I'm the Don. Have you got a computer? Then? No, I haven't got a computer. You haven't got a computer. Well, I'm the Don, mate. <laughs> Coming out of the ad break and our celebrity this week, a really fun celebrity, it must be said, it's Chris Akabusi, who feels so game for this. He comes out, he is pumping the air, he is having a good time. He says he's the Don. He's going to win this. He's the Don. He doesn't have a computer at home, but he's the Don. He's happy to be there. He's as energetic as Dex. He really is, yeah. Like it's, I, I, I quite enjoyed his sort of like his frenetic energy in all of this. And he picks out uh, a girl from the crowd, Gia, um, to to play the game with him. And I mean, she's she's quite shy. She's very nervous. It's it's all quite sweet. But I think that that Chris does a good job of trying to like make her feel comfortable. Now, Chris Akabusi nowadays is mainly known for being a pundit and also someone that didn't want Scotland to have a referendum. I think kind of mm. an odd flex but there you go but back at this point he was most known as an athlete he was a sprint and hurdling track and field athlete 
He won silver medal at the 84 Summer Olympics. He won gold at the 86 Commonwealth Games and 86 European Athletic Championships. Another silver at the 87 World Championships in Athletics. And even right towards the end of his career, he won gold at the 1990 Commonwealth Games. He won hurdle bronze medal at the 91 World Championships. And he also got the bronze medal for the 400 meter hurdles at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, where he also won bronze with the 4x400-meter relay team. Now, there's a lot of silver and bronze in that little list I just rattled off, but you've got to understand, this is a British athlete. Uh, Chris Ekabusi, to me, I'm, I'm not a sports fan. I think that's been pretty abundantly clear if you listen to this podcast. But there are certain names from the world of sport that I do know and I do recognize because there was like, they were celebrities at the time. Frank Bruno was one of them. I've never watched a boxing match in my life, but I know who Frank Bruno is. And Chris Akabusi is one of those guys. I've never watched the Olympics. I didn't watch any of the, the, the sports that he was involved in or any of his punditry work, but I know who Chris Akabusi is. And as soon as like they said the name, I instantly knew who it was. I knew his face. I knew his style and demeanor um yeah I, I, he was just someone who always felt like he was around a lot uh, during this period of time following his retirement from active competition we're kind of at this point where he's becoming a tour de force for presenting uh, one of his first big jobs was on the bbc show record breakers he took over from roy castle after roy castle passed away but He'll also appear on The Big Breakfast. He was a regular on A Question of Sport. I definitely remember him from They Think It's All Over. And bizarrely, in 1997, he appeared in an episode of The Last of the Summer Wine. Huh. Yeah, that's about the only reaction that that can get. He was playing a milkman. Hmm. Uh, well, I mean, if you're going to play a character in Last of the Summer Wine, I guess a milkman makes the most sense. It can't, be, it can't always be a bathtub. He apparently also had a cameo in an episode of EastEnders. Just dude gets around. That, that one at least makes sense. And even now, he's still out there, including appearing regularly in episodes for Ladbrokes Online Betting. Oh, mm. nice quality, dependable job. Yeah, yeah, nice work if you can get it, I suppose. But let's find out what these two will be playing. What are we playing, Games Master? Tonight's celebrity challenge is on James Pond 3 for the Sega Mega Drive. The winner of my golden joystick will be the contestant who races to the end of the cheesily named Garden of Edom level in the quickest time. This is a, a nice like thematic challenge for Chris Akabusi and his athleticism because it's just run through the Garden of Edom level on James Pond 3 as quickly as you possibly can. It's not Sonic, so we're going for a different running style of game. This has got like the James Pond Olympics style of like animation and graphics and stuff, so We've already had that, um, the Aquatic Games Challenge back at the start of Series 3, so it just makes sense to take the new game, James Pond 3, and just pick a level where you got to do a lot of running. Indeed, and I also just want to take a moment to appreciate that this is a cheese-based level with the pun name Garden of Edam. I'm in, I'm in for it. I'm absolutely in for it. Also, I do like cheese. Oh, mate, I bloody love me some cheese. Oh, quite partial to a bit of cheese. This game is called Operation Starfish. That's its kind of subtitle for James Pond 3. I do prefer its original working title. They were going to go with James Pond 3 Splash Gordon. Oh, it's good, isn't it? It's, it's better than Operation Starfish. It did enjoy good sales. It did get good reviews. It didn't do quite as well as the previous games. A Master System version of this game was planned, but was cancelled for unknown reasons. The unknown reason probably being it was for the Master System who was buying the Master System. But Luke, 
Guess what? <laughs> Wasn't there an Atari Jaguar port? It was being developed by Millennium Interactive and planned to be published by Telegames. It was never released due to the disappearance of the subcontracted programmer and its associated code after development began. So they began development and the programmer off with the code. That is wonderful. That's so good. <laughs> How much of a cursed console was the Atari Jaguar? Yeah, we also had a, we had James Pond 3 previewed and when we did our um, episode on Gilly Games Master Magazine. It was like one of their first big preview things that they've done. So it's nice to see it actually become a challenge here on the show. And really, there's one point of this level that you have to overcome, which is a spike pit. Unfortunately, both of our players get to. Um, but I don't think they're the worst thing about this challenge. Unfortunately, the game's animal is back to drop a few more clangers. Dave, tell us a bit about age form. Well, Chris is a professional athlete and a natural runner, so a speed challenge should suit him. But age tends to be a handicap in computer gaming, so I'm putting beauty Ooh. before age for once, oh, and I'm yeah. going for Gia on this challenge. Oh, yeah. We'll right, see right. how well Chris does. Gia did her best. Unfortunately, she didn't make the time. She didn't make the level. She didn't do anything. And you lost your bet as well, Dave. Never bet on girls in computer games. Never. It's like having like a really warm, affectionate dog. It's like the family dog and he just makes your life better. And then occasionally he'll just walk into the room and let out a fart that smells like something has died. That is what watching Games Master is at the moment, because Dave Perry is being great on the play by play. He's being great as the facts man, the tale of the tape, all that stuff. And then occasionally we just get bullshit like this. And this is now two times in the past couple of episodes where he has basically gone, eh, girls, games. Ugh. Yeah, it is like so in this example of this, he talks about how like, you know, the uh, Chris is an athlete, but he's now old. So he's going for beauty over age in this time. He is going to go against his better judgment and put a bet on a girl winning a game. And you're like, you mentioned there that it's, you know, we we kind of not the excuse of oh, it was 1993. It was a different time. Now we're in 1994 because Dave does this a lot for the rest of series three. Basically, any time a, a girl playing a game comes up, he he turns back to this bullshit. I don't even know if this is just a Dave Perry of 1993 thing because I reckon if you'd got Dave Perry to do color commentary on something in 2021, he would do it now because he would think it would be cool and edgy to do, like doing a YouTube series in 240p. Exactly that, yeah. But Chris is up first, and he gets off to a pretty good start. I mean, James Pond, he's a nippy bugger in this mm -hmm. game. He does get some good momentum up and running. But as you mentioned before, he hits that spike trap. And when he hits that spike trap, he stumbles. And it's really, it looks really difficult to get the momentum going again. Because you've got a steep hill right after that. So, like, those spikes stop you dead in your tracks. You've then got to get out of that spike pit, and then you, what, the next thing you encounter is a vertical hill. He does get it back, though, and he does build up speed. And at that point, he is unstoppable right until the end when he runs into a mouse. <laughs> he does, yeah. He does finish the challenge, just about, uh, with 28 seconds on the clock, which is, it's a respectable time, but it's certainly a beatable time. And Jir is up next. Dex asks if she's ready. She says, yeah, not entirely convincing on that one. But off she goes and the competition is underway. Now she gets off to a quicker start than Chris. She is flying along, but then hits that same spike trap. And that is where it just all falls apart. 
because even though she actually recovers more quickly than Chris, she falls back down and she keeps falling back down and she does eventually get out of it with only one lump of health left. But she's still trying to claw her way up that initial climb after the pit when the clock goes past the time. It, there's, no, there's no point. The, the challenge is over. She hasn't died. She hasn't completed it, but she can't run faster than 28 seconds. So that's it. That's over. Yeah, it's a, it's, I feel so bad for her as well, because it's not she knows where it's coming, but she knows that it is coming. Because there are times when she's running downhill and you can see her brake as if she's preparing to jump on the platform, or jump over like the swinging platform to get up that hill. And she just, she doesn't break at the right time. And that forces her to fall into the spike pit. She gets out of the spike pit and then she just cannot get the momentum up that hill. So she goes up, she slides down, falls in the spike pit, gets out, goes up, slides down. It's, it's painful to watch. Done. All right. So, Gia, what went wrong? Well, where that hill bit was, I just mm. slipped and... I couldn't get up. Yeah, you couldn't get up. Oh, dude. Yeah. Don't, don't you feel terrible? I feel, I mean, I feel guys for her because she was so good in practice. I know she was in shape. Yeah. But she kept on slipping down. That's where it goes, baby. Right, let's get a caretaker on and give Chris his golden joystick. And in the post-match, she's upset. She's either acting upset or is genuinely upset. Can't entirely tell. Dex says to Chris, does he feel bad? And he says, yeah, he feels gutted, especially because, despite the fact, Luke, she was randomly picked from the audience. She was so good in practice. I know, I've written it. Expose the gimmick, Chris. Come on, mate. But then Chris also says, that's the way it goes, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that makes him feel even worse about the situation. But he gets his joystick and then he basically just goes, I think she's better. She gets the joystick. She does not look like she knows what to do at this point. She is very much of the, am I allowed to do this? And then when she is given the joystick, Dex obviously goes, well, you know, hold it up, hold it up. She nearly f***ing drops it. Yeah, I know. There is this millisecond where she nearly drops it and you see her face turn pale as she almost loses her grip on this like clear Perspex box. She was so nervous, bless her. I like the gesture that Chris made. I appreciated it. I think she definitely deserved that after having put up with some of that bullshit on commentary both before and after the challenge. And so... Yeah, it wasn't a great challenge. It wasn't a great game. But Chris is entertaining as f and clearly a nice guy. Yeah, I think so. I think like, I think Chris kind of redeems this challenge as well because it is painful to watch poor old Jira struggle uh, with this. But it is like quite a nice gesture at the end for him to give the joystick, particularly because, as he said, she was better in practice. I know that she can do this. And like, I think Chris walked into this expecting her to win. So yeah, like I think just to, to hand her the joystick, it's, it was a nice thing to do. I think that's the first time this has happened on Games Master. It is. It's the first time we've had it, yeah. But they walk off, and I'm looking at the clock running on my episode on this one and thinking, we need to hurry this one up a bit. <laughs> so I guess <laughs> best dive into that consultation zone. Hello, and here I am, ready to receive another flood of pretty bull, please. Who's going to be the first to tap my reservoir of knowledge? Hello, Games Master. I've heard there's a room full of goodies in Jurassic Park on the SNES. Could you please tell me how to get there? This is a nice, simple one. First, make your way to the ship at the east of the island. Now, walk into the rock face as near as the ship, and hey, Pristo, 
you'll find yourself in a secret room. Oh, thanks a lot. Cheers, Games Master. Nice simple tip. And also, you can tell this was clearly designed as a secret level because when you go into the kind of first person section, it actually says in the caption at the top of the visor, secret level. Yeah, it's very, very nice. Games Master, are there any secret cheats in the game Brute Football for the Amiga? I do know a little secret about this game that allows you to select the league and match of your choice. On the head head screen, type L, then the number of the league you wish to play in. One being the highest league, three being the lowest. Now press M, followed by the number of the match. For example, typing L1, M6, takes you to league one, match six. You might be interested to know that now pressing the I key while playing will make you invincible. Any other queries will have to wait till next week. This one is a really interesting one because it's a game that we've not uh, had featured on Games Master before, which is Brutal Football on the Amiga. And it's a fun little system, essentially, because essentially you type in L, which represents league, and you under the number of the league you want to enter into. Then you type in M and the match that you want to go into as well. So Games Master gives the example, if you do L1, M6, that takes you to League 1, Match 6. And then you can press I and you'll be invincible while playing the game as well. And yeah, I enjoyed this because, as I said, we haven't had this featured on Games Master, but also it's got some wonderful Amiga graphics and like these, the, what I would call an Amiga face uh, in terms of like the, the design of the, the brutal league football teams that you're playing as. Now, when I saw this game, a couple of things came to mind. First of all was Speedball 2. Yeah. And when this game was released, it was often compared to Speedball 2, but favorably. They they didn't go, oh, it's a Speedball 2 ripoff. They were like, no, this is a good alternative. This is a good game that you can play for a bit of a change from speedball 2 it also very much reminds me of the games workshop blood bowl blood bowl which i used to play quite a bit yeah it really reminds me of that this is a game that made it to a number of different platforms obviously this appeared for the amiga it also went to ms dos it also appeared on the cd32 apparently mega drive and snes ports were in development and planned to be published both in america and europe both ports were advertised, and the Mega Drive version was even reviewed by GamePro magazine. But neither of them were ever released. The Mega Drive version has actually been leaked since then. A ROM has come out of it, so it is out there and playable. But Luke, <laughs> guess what? There was a 3DO port. No, but there was a Jaguar one that actually got oh. released. <laughs> Oh, it got released. That's, that makes a nice change. I, I like to throw throw a bone in there for you every now and then. Just give you a <laughs> game that actually did come out within the decade that it was originally meant to. Yeah. And if this had come out on the Mega Drive, I definitely would have wanted to get this. As I said, like I played Blood Bowl, and um, so I definitely would have been really into this. But anyway, that's it. Two consultation zone entries and Games Master's had enough because he's seen the clock. He wants to get down the pub, mate. Exactly. We've got one more challenge to play. What are we playing, Games Master? For my final challenge, I've selected the exciting basketball simulation NBA Jam for the Super Nintendo. Tonight's winner will be the team who scores the most points after a slam dunking, ball bouncing quarter of basketball action. Contestants, take note. You will score three points for a basket rather than the usual two if you shoot from within your own heart. Give me five, man. 
yes, it's NBA fucking jam. This is my jam, man. This game is the fucking best. I don't want to kill the buzz, but I do feel the need to highlight something. When Dex throws over to the games master, can someone shut that kid's mouth next to him? <laughs> I have no need to see late 1993 chewing gum being openly displayed on Channel 4 standard definition television. I found it really, really distracting and also a bit gross. I did not spot him. It's because it was obviously a big wad of chewing gum because every time this kid's mouth opened, you could just see it was all over his tongue. So it looked like he Ooh. had like a ping pong ball inside his mouth. And it genuinely killed my mood. <laughs> I was I was just like, oh, that's gross. Chew with your mouth closed, for sake. But yes, NBA Jam. Now we mentioned Midway earlier and we mentioned the Insert Coin documentary. If that wasn't enough to get you to want to watch that documentary, this should be. Oh man, it is a cracking documentary. You can get a Blu-ray of it now. Uh, you can rent it like online too. It's so, so good. Uh, Josh Zoe has done an incredible work with an insane amount of archive because he worked at Midway. You know, he was one of the character models um, within sort of Mortal Kombat games. So he has just had the inside track. He knows all these people. So they're very, very, um, you know, happy to chat and talk with him. I'll also put a bit of a boasting out there. It's because of me. He interviews people for the Mortal Kombat movie. It's very, very, you know, and I've, I've, I've had a really nice relationship with him over the last couple of years. And he is just a proper, proper nice chap. And it's a fucking brilliant documentary. I'm so glad to have finally seen it in its full form. I had seen like the original cut that he'd done of it, which was like what, nearly five hours long. And essentially just been watching him whittle it down to an acceptable documentary length. But yeah, it is well worth going out of your way to see. It's really amazing as well that you were able to hook him up with the Mortal Kombat uh, people. How, how, do, how were you able to make those connections with the Mortal Kombat people, Luke? Oh, I wrote a book once. Um, oh, you wrote I, a book? <laughs> yeah, yeah, in fact, Paul Douglas Hanson wrote the foreword for it. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't like to bring it up every now and again. Buy his book. <laughs> But yeah, like it, it's it's so exciting to see NBA Jam on this because it means the NBA Jam is here. And crazily, this is a bit familiar, not just because it's NBA Jam, but because we kind of had the prototype to NBA Jam back in Series 2 with Arch Rivals. Yeah, during the Curly Challenge, yeah. That's right, it was the Curly Challenge. But whereas Arch Rivals wasn't exactly fully formed, Oh, this game from the offset was just so good. I remember this on the SNES. I remember it at the local Quasar Laser. Oh, that yeah. was a good. That was a good place to go and play some games. I remember it was next to the Virtua Fighter cabinet on one side, and I want to say Mortal Kombat or Mortal Kombat Two on the other. That's that's a bit tasty. That that's very nice. It was a bit foolish actually because they put three high turnover machines right next to each other you want to space them out because then people might play other games while waiting because mm -hmm. because mortal kombat Virtua fighter and nba jam did often have a queue i played nba jam on arcade I, we didn't have a local arcade with it in or you know our quasar didn't have um uh nba jam in there so i only got to play nba jam in the arcade uh when i was in new york um when me and my wife went there we went to an arcade a, a barcade and got to play it then it was actually like a it was really cool on arcade. I was so used to playing it on the Mega Drive and I've played it so much on the Mega Drive. 
to have so many tournaments on it at Heart of Gaming. Now, the original arcade used the roster for the NBA from 92 to 93. The home version, which we're seeing here on the SNES, used the 93 to 94 roster. So they were updating it as they went along. And then again, even more up-to-date rosters were used for future ports for the Sega CD, the Game Boy, the Game Gear, and so on and so forth. The only absences were Michael Jordan and Shaq. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Shaq, they, they both had their own games. They both had their own games. Although, if I remember correctly, and not to wish to spoil the very good documentary that's out there, Michael Jordan did actually end up with his own custom ROM set of the arcade of NBA Jam, which had him in it. Yeah, I mean, it worked out well for Shaquille O'Neal as well. He got a great game out of it. Did he? Well, he got Shaq Fu. I thought he said he got a great game out of it. <laughs> I do like the story of Shaq Fu, though, which is that, like, like you know, a game developer was like, we want to make a game for Shaquille O'Neal, and Shaquille O'Neal went in and was like, I really like Mortal Kombat. Can you make Mortal Kombat, but with me in it? And they were like, um, no, because we don't know how to make a fighting game. So I don't care, I'm Shaquille O'Neal. So they just made a fighting game. I do actually have it on the SNES. It came with a second-hand SNES I picked up after I think my original one died or something, or no. No, it was just actually, I got a big bundle of games with the SNES. It was cheaper to buy the bundle with the SNES than to have bought the game separately. But one of the games was Shaq Fu. And I did put it in and I did play it. And... I've just realised something. The cartridge noise that most of you will hear at the end of an episode of Season 3 of Under Consultation is actually Shaq Fu being ejected from a Super Nintendo. Is it really? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's probably the most entertaining a Shaq Fu cartridge has ever been. <laughs> but oh, tons of secret characters, tons of extra things, tons of code, big head mode. NBA Jam. I'd say there's so much to say about it, and there is, but there's a documentary out there that will say it better than I think we could. And this isn't even the best version we get on the home consoles. No, yeah, with Tournament Edition, it's round the corner, mate. But guess what, Luke? Atari Jaguar. There was one. That's Yay! how good this game is. It actually got released. And whereas the home console versions of Tournament Edition allowed players to use Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Al Gore as unlockable characters, the Atari Jaguar version had Atari's Vice President of Software Development, Leonard Tremiel, as an unlockable on the Atari Jaguar. I mean, Atari fans must have been over the moon. <laughs> also, Games Master should never be allowed to say the phrase Gimme Five Man ever again. <laughs> well, it's a bit awkward, isn't it? <laughs> well, it looks like we're going to see some ball bouncing action in NBA Jam. Right, we've got Ollie from Heavy Tactics and Stuart from the Mega Maniacs. Dave, give us the SP on these two guys. Well, Ollie's going to be playing as the Phoenix Suns. Stuart's chosen to be the Chicago Bulls. Ollie's got to be the outsider on this challenge because his only claims to fame are Sonic in two hours and clocking Mortal Kombat in five hours. There's nothing special there. Whereas Stuart beat 5,000 people in our auditions with his F1 time. So Stuart's got to be the favourite on this one. We've got Ollie playing as the Phoenix Suns, but Stuart is the smart man here picking the Chicago Bulls. What an absolute boss team to pick there. Uh, and Dave kind of buries Ollie a little bit at the start of this because he's like well his big claims to fame are completing sonic 2 in two hours of mortal kombat in five there's nothing special about that but i think he's really doing this just to put over Stuart because according to dave Stuart beat 
5,000 other people on F1 during the auditions for this show. Now, we've often wondered, and I think even some of it's remained in the episodes, how many people auditioned. 5,000 is a number that is big enough to be questionable, but also small enough to not be impossible. Yeah, because you've got to imagine they must have had a, a good number of applicants in for the team championships. You can announce it on TV. I suppose also, do we mean that he actually beat their time in real-time competition at the auditions, or was it a time he recorded as part of his process to come to the audition? So kind of his like clipboard sheets that he filled out. I thought it might be a case of like he went down there and he got a time on the day that he was there. And then for however long the audition process was, no one else beat that time. So he did beat 5,000 people on F1, but he didn't beat them all on the same day or in the same, you know, in the, in the same challenge segments. But to go back to something Dave Perry said a few episodes ago, he puts down Ollie by talking about Sonic and Mortal Kombat. He bigs up Stuart by talking about F1. Guess what none of those games are, Luke? Basketball games. They're not basketball games. They have about as little to do with basketball as you might imagine. The closest we're going to get is Sonic curls up into a ball. But I will say Dex does get another diamondism in. He says we're going to see some ball bouncing action. <laughs> so Ollie has uh, kind of, you know, how I said that we had the, the fatal plan, the fatal floor plan in the Mortal Kombat challenge. I think Ollie has the same thing here because it is, we've only got one quarter of game here. And Games Master did say in the opening thing of this that if you shoot from outside of the, the goal area, essentially the net area, whatever you call it, basketball, touchdowns, um, you get three points. You can get a three-pointer, and that's obviously going to get you more points. And that's what Ollie keeps going for here. Ollie just keeps running to the line and trying to get a three-point shot, whereas Stuart of the Bulls is just getting the ball, running it and dunking it in and getting the two points. and. He takes the lead, you know, he goes up eight to two. And really, this only comes down to the wire because he made an error and goaltended to bring the score up to eight five. And then Ollie is trying to get an, a one final three point shot in, which would have tied the game, but it bounces off the rim and he only manages to dunk it to get the two points to make it eight seven. But realistically, that was much closer than it had any right to be. I totally get the concept of trying to sink a couple of three-pointers given the time limit. Yeah, totally. However, there's a number of times when he goes for those three-point shots and one of his big mistakes is he's actually inside the zone. So it would only be a two-pointer. And in fact, when he does land one of those, it's only a two-pointer anyway. The way I've always found to get a decent chance of a three-pointer in NBA Jam, you run right to the top or bottom corners and then you jump and just let the ball go at the peak of the jump. Yep. And even if it bounces, you've actually got a good chance of running to the basket and then tapping it in for a two. So you're doubling your chances. And in fact, that is what Stuart kind of does at one point. Stuart wins this by being sensible, but he's also pretty damn good at this game. There's a couple of tactics in there that are great in NBA Jam, including the whole concept of faking out a three-point shot, but then passing it to your other player who's already in the zone and ready to dunk it. I did like how tight it got at the end, even if it was because of goaltending, because as it stands, it ends 8-7. Woof, that was, that was exciting towards the end. If he'd have sunk that three-pointer at the end there, it would have been a tie. And 
we've had a tie in like you know into getting through from like challenge one into challenge two to get to challenge three what would have happened if we'd have had a tie in the final challenge would they just done another quarter i'd have to imagine they'd have done another quarter or i i've no idea or do you reckon it would have been like do you remember um, uh, the games master live episode where they was like we've run out of time we've run out of time we're gonna have to go we're out of here we're gone and then the following week they'd be like and here's what happened although we never found out for games master live but it's a pre-tape thing we could have probably found out or as it was a pre-tape they could have maybe squashed the credits down so it was actually running in the lower third oh ash we were running out of time as it was mate like we were we were down to the wire on this episode oh, 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 oh. holly uh, 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 what went uh, uh, wrong mate oh uh, well you know I always thought the best man won, but obviously not. Yeah, he thought the best man always won, but obviously not. Unlucky, guys. Well done. Good competition. So, you're pleased with your result? Yeah. yeah. No problem? No, All right, then. Let's have a big cheer for our winners. But it does mean the Mega Maniacs are going through. Post-match, Ollie says he always thought the best man won, but obviously not. Ooh, oh. shade thrown. <laughs> also as well there, Mega Maniacs, they were the team that came last in the Samurai Showdown challenge and came joint first in the pop and twin bee challenge and only just came first only only just came joint first and they went on to win the whole thing they really were the underdogs in this story cinderella story uh shame they're a bit not charismatic because when dex goes for them for the closing comments they're just like yeah yeah, yeah they've got nothing to say i think they're probably in shock <laughs> i was surprised <laughs> final position tune in next week we'll have three more teams battling out for a place in the games master team championship see you then bye oh man what an action-packed episode wasn't it just yeah that was series three episode 19 we are like ash we're only seven episodes away from the end of series three which has come around fast absolutely it, it it's astounding how quickly this series has gone. Not every episode has been good. A couple of them have been really bad. There's been some moments that have made my teeth hurt. <laughs> this episode had one of them. But I can never claim that any of these episodes have actually been boring. No. We're a long way from golf challenges here. Really? Oh yeah, absolutely. But what did you make of this episode? Because I, I, I mean, I, I really quite enjoyed this one. It was manic. But I, I got a kick out of all of the challenges on it with the exception of the celebrity one and i kind of like i had my frustrations with some of the challenges as well particularly the way that people were playing them like in the nba jam one with the lads constantly going for the three pointers your man who just would not try anything other than doing uppercuts on mortal combat but i i got a kick out of pretty much everything on this apart from the celebrity challenge and even the celebrity challenge to see chris akabusi in his full-on kind of exuberance and energy there was something to that and also we we've talked about sportsmanship since we started the team challenges real sportsmanship there mm. oh, what yeah. a nice what a nice guy but no we started with samurai showdown and as soon as we started with samurai showdown when i was note-taking i was thinking they peaked too soon this should be the final but no they they kept it we had Pop and Twinbee, a game that wouldn't be on a lot of people's radar at that point, but did look a lot of fun. It's big, it's bright, it's colourful. Anime is just becoming a thing. Manga is just becoming a thing. So why not push the boat out and get something that is very much a Japanese game? 
The reviews were fun. Nice to see Eternal Champions. There was total carnage, but I'll be honest, sometimes it's nice to see a bad game just to see it get buried. Quick tiebreaker challenge. The celeb challenge. Yeah, but Akabusi was fun. Consultation Zone was good enough. Jurassic Park was a game I owned for the SNES, and that other game does look fun. And yeah, Blood Bowl reminded mm-hmm. me very much of that, and Speedball 2. And then we're on to this final challenge, which, if not for that goaltending, would have been boring. Yeah. It would have been so one-sided. But, but it gave us some tension. It gave Ollie hope. And so the last 15, 20 seconds of the challenge just got really tense. And for the first time in a while, I think I want to go away and play more of the games than I don't. I yep. want to go and pick up Samurai Showdown. I want to go and pick up a Pop and Twinbee, NBA Jam, maybe even Jurassic Park. I might want to check out that brutal football game because, hey, there's even a CD32 version of it. I'm fairly certain I've got the ROM for. Or, yeah, Mega Drive version. There's a ROM out there for it, probably mostly complete. So despite the fact that, yeah, there was a real clunk moment on this, it was a really solid episode. Yeah. This, this for me, is one of the best of the team championships of the heats. I don't think I'm going into 90s territory with this because of Dave Perry and because Dex was just out of control. Yeah, Dex was quite... Like, Dex and Dave were probably the downsides of this episode. I felt that Dex was, like, he was all over the show. And, like, there are times where he would... When people say they don't like Dexter Fletcher as the host of Games Master, and it's not just because he's not Dominic Diamond, this is what they think Dex is like all the time. And I don't think Dex is like this all the time. But this is the most of why people don't like Dexter Fletcher on, on Games Master, because he is... Like just constantly like, he's leaping like a lizard, he's doing this, there's a dog, what's a dog doing? As you said, apples and pears, it is actually quite tiresome. I'm definitely in the 80s for this one, because despite Dex and despite Dave, it is a really solid episode of Game Challenges. I think I'm going 87. I had 89. So yeah, so like I, I was a high 80s. I, I wanted to push this into the 90s, but the commentary dragged it down for me. And it's a shame, like the comedy, and yeah, to a degree, like the James Pond challenge as well. But like, I, I felt the other challenges kind of lifted those, like lifted that James Pond challenge up. It's fucking Samurai Showdown. It's Pop and Twinbee. It's NBA Jam. Like that's a, it's, you can't have a bad time with that episode. But you can when you've got really irritating presenting and commentary. And Dex was quite annoying in a lot of this episode. And yeah, and I, and I, I I was not on board with a lot of what Dave had to say either. So I'm I'm sticking with 89 for this one. I think it's very rare that I'm actually the low baller. Normally I'm usually a bit more forgiving, but no, I'm going to stick with 87. It, it's a fun episode. Some bits, like anything from the 90s, have aged better than others. And again, that's not justification. It's not an excuse. It's just the reason it is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, it really is. That is going to do it for this episode of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule, you big, beautiful bastards. If you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at underconsolepod, and we're on Instagram at under.console. And if you want to send us an email, we're feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want a bit of real-time interaction, you want to chat with us, chat with other people that listen to Under Consultation who are fans of retro games or just generally cool people, you can join our Discord, details of which are in the show notes or on our social media. 
And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where at the five pound level, you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad free. The 10 pound level, you get an extra bonus. But also if you back us on Patreon, you now get access to our monthly live stream community podcast under console nation where we just hang around for an hour. We just chat games and stuff. We, we live stream on YouTube. It's available as a podcast afterwards. It's available as a video on demand as well. And yeah, we, we, we recorded our last first one last week and I had a blast doing it. I was bricks. <laughs> no, I really, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. So uh, tell us about this £10 backer level, uh, the merch pack. Because two podcasts isn't enough. You also get a <laughs> mug. You get stickers, you get badges, you get retro sweeties, you get retro Power Rangers trading cards, you get £5 off our first under consultation t-shirt, which can be bought along with other mugs, badges and stickers from our website, underconsultation.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, David, Colin, Zach, William, Simon, Sean, Robert, Rich, Phil, Nick, Misha, Matt, Joe, Jamie, Gordon, Cliff, Adam Warrington and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening to Under Consultation. Please do subscribe, uh, give us a little rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. And we will see you in seven days' time for episode 20 of Series 3. The heats continue. Take care, everyone. Good night. <laughs>